Chapter 9. Perhaps it's not you, it's them. PhD student supervisor relationships. Trigger warnings. Bullying, harassment, sexual harassment. Depending on your country of study, a PhD supervisor may be called the principal investigator, PI, or your PhD supervisor or PhD advisor. For the purpose of this chapter, I will use supervisor to mean the academic in charge of your PhD research. If there is one thing that may truly make or break your PhD journey, it is the relationship you have with your PhD supervisor. Research has shown the interpersonal, professional relationship between PhD students and their supervisors heavily influence the success of a PhD project and is linked with progress and student satisfaction. A good supervisor can lift you up when you are low, push you to be a better researcher and continue to advocate for your success way beyond your PhD. Yet, at the opposite end of the spectrum, a poor PhD supervisor can bully you, gaslight you and lead to a truly miserable few years of PhD study. In fact, in Nature's 2019 PhD student survey, 24% of students, when asked if they could start their graduate programme over again, what they would do differently, said they would change their PhD supervisor. Again, I'd like to reiterate that I don't tell you these statistics to scare you, but to give you a better understanding of some of the issues you may face throughout your PhD journey. It is incredibly important to understand early on both the impacts a PhD supervisor can have on your PhD studies as well as that being a world-leading academic, does not necessarily equate to being a good mentor. Securing grants and getting published in high-impact journals says nothing about someone's ability to look after the well-being of PhD students under their supervision. It is possible to find someone that is greatly respected for their academic prowess, and yet find them distinctly lacking in their mentorship capabilities. For this chapter, I will be focusing largely on the scenarios that the aforementioned 24% of graduate students experience, a toxic, unsupportive PhD supervisor. I chose to focus on the negative side of supervision and the impact it can have because it is only by discussing how this behaviour may impact you that you may be able to recognise the behaviour you're being subjected to and work towards addressing it through the parts you can control. Further, if you have a supportive supervisor who is a good mentor, you'll know just how important and helpful that is. Imagine not having that support. That is what some PhD students experience. I truly hope that most of you reading fall into the other 76% and that this chapter is largely irrelevant for you. One thing I will say is whilst you may not be experiencing a difficult time with your PhD supervisor, the supervisor-student relationship can vary very much from person to person. For example, whilst you might not be victim to bullying or harassment from your PhD supervisor, it does not mean that your colleague that sits next to you isn't. Just like medieval knights, the champion of one person is armed and ready to take down another. Unfortunately, bullying and harassment disproportionately affects people from historically marginalised communities, such as women, people of colour, disabled people and members of the LGBTQ community, to name just a few. This is one of the many reasons why poor supervision needs to be addressed at an institutional level, but often it is not. Choosing your supervisor. Before you start your PhD, given the huge impact the PhD student-supervisor relationship will have on your success, it is important to chat to your supervisor before you start working with them. If you did not get this memo before starting your PhD, please do not worry. It is common for first-generation students to not get this information ahead of time. Like with any job interview, just like you will be putting your best self forward during your first meeting, so will your supervisor. 
This can mean that it can be difficult and even impossible to truly gauge what they will be like as a supervisor. One of the best bits of advice I can give is to speak to current and past members of your supervisor's research group and ask them what their experience was like. It helps to be specific with your questions. I would also recommend asking directly what the worst bits of the experience were. For example, can you please give me three positive examples of working with supervisor's name and three negative examples? Asking directly means that you're more likely to get an answer. Further, if mental health and well-being matter to you, perhaps due to past experiences with mental illness, so you know that you will need some support, or the fact that you want to thrive and not just survive your PhD journey, I would encourage you to directly ask your soon-to-be supervisor how well they look after student well-being and what support is available at the university, as well as looking on your prospective university's website to see what services exist. Understandably, we can be scared of asking our future supervisor these questions. This is largely because there is still a lot of stigma associated with mental health and we often cannot fight the persistent feeling of if I ask this, will they not think I'm capable or will they not take me as a student if I disclose my mental illness? And this is true. They may think these things, but if they do, I have to ask, do you really want your next three to eight years of your life governed by someone that cares very little, if at all, about your welfare or doesn't know the resources that are available to support you. Probably not. And if they truly want to work with you, but have gaps in their knowledge on how best to support you, a good mentor works on this to enable you to be the best version of you that you can be. The role of a PhD supervisor. Across the world, there are different names that are used for the academic in charge of a PhD. For example, supervisor, advisor, and principal investigator are interchangeable, yet all meaning different things. In reality, your PhD supervisor has many different roles to play in order to deliver successful supervision. The roles your PhD supervisor may take are Director, where they contribute to research directions, providing ideas and expertise. Teacher, where they teach you how to navigate the academic process and teach you about relevant research techniques. Facilitator, where they provide access to equipment, funding and professional contacts where needed. Mediator, where they assist in solving any minor disputes between research team colleagues. Sponsor, where they advocate for your success and put your name forward for opportunities. Critic, where they challenge you by providing constructive criticism of your work. Manager, where they track your progress, hold you accountable and regularly provide feedback. Developer, where they check in on your well-being and extend interest into who you are as a person, where appropriate. Deliverer, where they ensure that you are delivering on research outputs and driving towards academic publications. Examiner, test your knowledge, run mock viva exams and provide feedback or yearly progress reports. The relevance of these roles is of course field dependent. For example, during a PhD in the sciences, a PhD supervisor may take on a manager role, but in the humanities, more self-led research may be expected. On top of these, your PhD supervisor is likely to have other responsibilities within your department and your research field. This may involve lecturing, setting exams, marking coursework, being involved in a spin-out company, being representatives on international committees, diversity and inclusion work, being active practitioners in their field, pastoral care, external examinations, widening participation, among other things. This means that your PhD supervisor is likely to be extremely busy, However, by agreeing to take you on as a PhD student, they have committed to providing you the support and time that you need in order to be successful. 
You should never feel guilty for taking up your supervisor's time. They should have dedicated time to meet with you. Contact time should be formalised as part of the PhD process, meaning regular meetings take place at mutual convenience. When we embark on our PhD journey, we are often so focused on what we can bring to the table that we don't necessarily think about the skill sets that a supportive supervisor would have and what we need from them to thrive. I'd therefore be remiss not to mention what a good supervisory experience looks like. In work by Rose et al. 2003, surveying several hundred PhD students, only two traits were determined to be extremely important across the board, providing feedback and communication. This is not to say that other skills do not matter, but what it does show is that what an individual student's needs are, bar effective communication, are very different from person to person. For example, one PhD candidate may benefit greatly from a hands-on approach from the supervisor, whilst another may prefer a hands-off approach. If a supervisor approaches their role with a one-size-fits-all mentality, this is likely to cause problems. I feel it is important to mention at this point that supervisors are only human, they are never going to be perfect. They also may not know what they're doing wrong and will not be able to change that if they're not provided with feedback. There are, however, certain behaviours and mistreatment that you should never have to endure, like bullying and harassment and being forced to work 24-7. Understanding that you have the right to be treated with dignity and respect and that your supervisor is not infallible is essential for survival. At odds. Discussed by Vilkenus and Carton, 2006, the roles and responsibilities of a supervisor are often paradoxical to one another. They explore that a supervisor must act in a developer role, but also a deliverer role. For a PhD supervisor, this might be focusing on caring for the student and helping them to cope with any personal issues that arise during the PhD journey, but also having to ensure that the student is productive and generating research outputs. This conflict is important to recognise as it helps to understand that your supervisor may not always have your best interests at heart. This can be tough to digest, as we often go into our PhD programmes thinking that our supervisors will be our best advocates. Because of this conflict, I argue that your PhD supervisor is not best positioned to be your mentor. Yes, some PhD supervisors do a fantastic job of being mentors as well as supervisors, but I advise you to seek an independent mentor to help you throughout your PhD process. This could be a senior PhD student within your research group or another academic in or outside your research area. You may want to consider having a mentor that is working outside the academy. It's also important to note that you can have more than one mentor, which can be particularly useful to get a wealth and range of experience to assist you in your endeavours. So how might you go about getting a mentor? It's worth looking around in your field and seeing who you admire. Then simply ask them. This can seem super scary, but I can guarantee that being asked to be a mentor is a huge compliment, and the worst they can do is say no. It is also important to remember that if you do get a no, this is likely to be due to the person you reached out to being overburdened, not because they don't want to help. And if they don't want to help, you really do not want them as a mentor anyway. The power is yours. Ask. The flaw in the system. At present, many academics are not formally trained in mentoring. In my opinion, there is still very much a trial-by-fire aspect to managing a research group, with you only getting training on the job. Unfortunately, for the most part, the only people that are at risk of getting burned are the students that are the unbeknown guinea pigs. Academic promotions are typically achieved through publications and funding, not through successful mentorship. 
putting getting mentoring training much lower down the priority list, even for the most well-intentioned supervisors. This is a systemic problem throughout academia that needs addressing, not only to improve the PhD student experience, but also to recognise some of the so-called silent work that often falls more onto female academics who are often deemed more approachable and end up dealing with pastoral issues more frequently. Further, there appears to be little opportunity for PhD students to give feedback to PhD supervisors about their ability to mentor, and even when the lines of communication to give feedback are there, like having PhD student exit interviews, for example, there is a huge power dynamic between the PhD supervisor and the PhD researcher, resulting in fear of repercussions. By this, I mean that all the power in the relationship resides with the PhD supervisor. They determine how much support they provide you, what projects you get to work on, when you're ready to graduate and your written references for any future jobs. So when the question, how was I as a supervisor, gets asked, the default is often to say everything was fine. This is understandable from the student's perspective. It's an act of self-preservation. This is a vicious circle, as hearing that all is fine can ultimately reinforce to a PhD supervisor that they are doing a great job. Couple that with having very little time for any self-improvement on their part, or really any motivation to do so given how success is measured in the academy. What results is a PhD supervisor unintentionally, or intentionally, doing irrevocable harm to potential future researchers in their field. Sure, there are many instances where the supervision impacts students, but is not so completely devastating that those students go on to quit their PhD programmes. But even a small lack of support over time can lead to increased stress, all adding to the toil on your mental health. There is also little accountability for being a bad mentor. Harking back to the reward and promotion system in academia, supervision, and more importantly, the quality of that supervision, rarely factors into tenure decisions, but the quantity of passes. There needs to be a lot of work done at an institutional level to enable ways for students to provide feedback on their supervisor and for student complaints to be dealt with with discretion, as well as taken seriously. Things are improving though, with more emphasis on supervisors receiving training, as well as expectations for postgraduate training being formally outlined by funding bodies. Things are changing though. Recently, there have been several high-profile cases where bullying and or harassment has been reported, with institutions including research funding bodies taking action to remove funding and thus a large portion of power from academics that have been shown to abuse their position. There is hope. Identifying your supervisor's working style. PhD supervisors are as unique as the students they recruit, so any advice I can give on a supervisor's working style likely will not suit your PhD supervisor perfectly, but I think it is an important reflective exercise. The more you can understand the impact of their management style, the more you can understand how their behaviour can affect your well-being. By understanding what might be going wrong, it enables better articulation of issues and improved communication, all which can be channelled into managing up and managing your PhD supervisor's behaviour. Should this responsibility fall to you? Probably not. But unfortunately, this is often needed due to the lack of training given to supervisors. Not exhaustive, there are a range of different supervisor types that fall into that 24% that you may come across, listed below. A person may be one or many of these types combined. Under each type, I have discussed possible ways you might manage this behaviour. The ghost. Barely ever present, with you having much less contact time than you need. 
They might use phrases like, it is up to you to explore this space, or being thrown in the deep end is part of learning, which can make you feel like you are the problem, when in fact you're not getting enough guidance. They may be unavailable because they're overworked, or because they have tenure and do not really care about the success of their students. How to manage this behaviour? Not having the appropriate amount of support can be difficult. In some instances, it may be the case that your supervisor thinks you are capable and getting on just fine without guidance. To challenge this, explicitly ask for more contact time and emphasise why that is important. If you are still not getting the support you need, look elsewhere. Is there a postdoctoral researcher that can help you? Or a colleague? You may also wish to actively seek an independent mentor. The laser. Always watching you with laser precision. Barely gives you time to do any research and is constantly asking for updates, which means you're constantly under pressure. This is more commonly known as being micromanaged. You may struggle to actually get any work done due to the frequency of meetings and being made to feel inadequate for not producing more. How to manage this behaviour. If you can, explain how the frequency of meetings is affecting your productivity and request that you have bi-weekly or monthly check-ins as standard. Often this behaviour is about control, so it may help for you to send detailed plans of what you intend to do with your time before being asked. The scatterbrain. They mean well, but their lack of organisation trickles over to you. This might mean that you end up with less contact time than you need, for example your meetings get pushed back, or you are ending up doing a range of different activities, including administrative tasks and teaching additional classes that are not within your remit. How to manage this behaviour. Setting boundaries can be tough, but it is important to remember you can say no to requests. For example, actually I have to focus on my research this week, as we discussed, is a good way to remind your supervisor you have a PhD to complete. It is also worth considering, is doing these additional tasks adding to your skill sets, which can go on your CV? If so, provided you still have time to do your research, there may be benefits here. The paper mill. Sees you as a means to an end, and that is, publications. They will drive you incredibly hard, often to exhaustion and then even further. With the publish or perish mentality that is so pervasive in academia, one can easily see why some supervisors see their students as paper machines. They have little regard for you as a person. How to manage this behaviour? This can be an incredibly difficult situation to manage. The temptation can be to just keep pushing on through. But for your well-being, breaks are important. Setting boundaries can start off small, for example saying, I cannot get the draft over to you on Sunday, it will be in your inbox by the end of Monday. It is also important for you to recognise that your worth is not just in your citation success. Some people stick this situation out because of the prestige of the research group they're working in, but bear in mind that you can leave. Nothing is worth sacrificing your well-being over. The combatant. They've taken a disliking to you and treat you worse than a large portion of their research group, and you're made to feel that you are the problem. In reality, you may not look or act like their ideal student, and therefore they don't know how to manage you properly, which can lead to bullying and abusive behaviour. How to manage this behaviour? If possible, call out this behaviour in a public setting, but I also know how challenging and impossible this might feel. The best course of action may be to report this behaviour formally through the university. Often, this combative behaviour is due to biases and or discrimination, and should not be tolerated by the university. The optical expert. Recruits people for the optics. May have a group that has good diversity, but as soon as you get within the group, you realise they don't actually care about your welfare. 
They may use your ideas as theirs to make sure that they always look good and ultimately only have their own best interests at heart. How to manage this behaviour. Understand that they are likely to be a poor mentor and seek a mentor elsewhere. It may be prudent to warn others considering joining the group of the situation. If possible, challenge the use of your ideas as their own. The predator. They know about the power dynamic that exists between PhD supervisor and student and use it. They know they control your academic fate and use it against you. They may sexually harass and or force you to work in humane hours and threaten to not give you a good reference when you leave if you do not comply. How to manage this behaviour. This supervisor behaviour is in breach of the code of conduct of your university and, if you feel able to, should be reported. If going through formal routes of reporting is overwhelming, seek support from friends or family to help you through the process. Remember, it is not your fault. No one should be subjected to this behaviour. It is okay to walk away to protect your mental health. The workaholic. They live and breathe their academic work and therefore are working all the time and expect that of you too. They may incorrectly equate work hours with passion. How to manage this behaviour. Setting boundaries is paramount. See chapter 4. Be firm and provide dates of when you will deliver on work. It may be necessary to ignore not-so-subtle comments about your working hours. The means well. One of the most difficult supervisory styles to deal with is actually a supervisor that means well but often misses the mark. Perhaps they struggle to give positive feedback or are so overburdened you come last on their to-do list. How to manage this behaviour. Given they likely care about your success, it is important to be upfront with your supervisor and explain to them that you need a different management style or that things aren't quite working for you. This is mutually beneficial. Pervasive damaging biases. Unfortunately, some PhD supervisors can carry some particularly damaging biases that can impact mental health heavily. They may see these entrenched biases as supportive when they are not. Sink or swim. In order to accelerate your learning, your supervisor may choose to give you little guidance and see how you cope. When you ask for help, they may tell you to go away and think about the problem more. Whilst critical thinking is important for the PhD journey, if you knew exactly how to do everything before you started, you would not need your supervisor in the first place. You will need assistance to succeed. The sink or swim mentality is toxic and is like putting someone out in the middle of the ocean on a boat, but with no rowing equipment to get back to shore. Suffering is a rite of passage. Another common toxic supervisory bias is taking the stance that a PhD is meant to be hard or I suffered, so you should too. This is unacceptable. A PhD is tough enough without unnecessary suffering on top of it. It can be difficult as a PhD student to understand the difference between being pushed and being abused due to the power dynamic. But you should never be made to feel uncomfortable or belittled in any way. I did it, so you can too. An example of survivorship or survival bias. Those that make it to professorial positions can fall back on the idea that if they had been successful, then you can be too. Whilst this could be perceived as positive, in many cases it results in the overlooking of obstacles that the PhD student may be experiencing that were not present when the PhD supervisor did their PhD due to privilege or a change in the PhD landscape since they did their PhD. Your well-being is not my problem. A common notion is that pastoral care is not the responsibility of the supervisor. This is not true, but it can make it difficult to receive any non-academic support from your supervisor. It can also mean that if you open up about your mental health, 
you may not get the support you require. Note, these beliefs sadly are often not going to change, but I hope by being aware of them you may be able to recognise them if you're experiencing them and realise that you are not at fault. When things go seriously wrong, and it is definitely not your fault. University bullying and harassment is rife within academia. 43% of researchers stated they had experienced bullying and harassment, while 61% had witnessed it. Of those, 59% of those that had experienced it said the perpetrator was a supervisor. Below are some examples of supervisors bullying, harassing and or manipulating their PhD students. This is absolutely not okay, and if you're experiencing these things, you are in a toxic situation. Some examples of abuses of power and inappropriate conduct include overlooking contributions or passing off your ideas as their own, being verbally abused in group meetings, shouting or raising their voice at you, exclusion from academic publications or denial of proper author list placement, asking for favours, sexual or otherwise, attempting to start a romantic relationship with you, telling you to doctor or edit research to support their opinion, contacting you regularly outside of work on your personal number, using a visa application or right to work as leverage over you, threatening to deport you if you do not comply, keeping your passport or identity documents for safekeeping, forcing you to work on national or bank holidays, making you work routinely more than the allocated hours in a day, holding you back from graduating for cheap labour, not allowing you time out of your schedule to attend medical appointments. Now, while some of these may seem extreme, I assure you they do happen. If you have been victim to any of these sorts of behaviours or similar, I want to reiterate that this is not your fault. You deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Note, more information on reporting these behaviours and what support is available to you is available in the online resources accompanying the book. PhD student 41 states, my supervisor gave me a project that wasn't getting results. He threatened to fire me and revoke my visa if I didn't get the results he wanted in three months. He forbade me to speak about this to anyone because he said things would go very wrong for me. What can you do if your supervisor is abusive? Dealing with scenarios where your supervisor is abusive can be incredibly difficult due to the power dynamic at work. In many cases, abuse goes unreported for this reason. There are, however, possible routes for you to manage the situation you find yourself in. Confide in someone. Whether it is a colleague, postdoc, academic you respect at your institution, or friends or family, reach out to someone, if you can, and let them know what has been happening. Again, I want to reiterate that how you have been treated is not your fault and you deserve to be helped. Keep a record. If the abuse is pervasive and frequent, Keep a log of any written records of the behaviour that you have, as well as note down any witnesses present in meetings where abuse occurred. Speak to your graduate school. Whether it is your committee chair, US, or second supervisor, EU, there are formal reporting routes for supervisor misconduct. Often you can have informal, off-the-record conversations to understand the options that you have available to you. Note, it is important to realise in some cases, speaking to someone higher up in the university may mean word of your conversation getting back to your supervisor. Change supervisor. If your mental health and well-being is being heavily impacted by your supervisor, it may be time to consider changing supervisor. This can be an incredibly difficult decision, particularly if you're already part way through your PhD. 
you must consider whether or not you can tolerate working for your supervisor for the time you have left on your PhD. The sunk cost fallacy can lead us to think that we should not change. The sunk cost fallacy reasoning states that further investments or commitments are justified because the resources already invested will be lost otherwise. In the case of PhD study, it can be that if we just stick it out and try to manage the abuse we are being subject to, we will get our PhD. In reality, leaving and starting a PhD elsewhere may be beneficial. Note, to start this process, you would typically have to have a conversation with your course coordinator or graduate school. External transfers are possible depending on funding. Speak to your union. For impartial advice, representation and understanding of your workers' rights, unions are invaluable, as well as graduate student associations. It is often not known that PhD students are able to join organisations like University and College Union, UCU. No, it is okay to walk away. You should not have to walk away in a fair world, but if your mental health is at risk, no, it is more than okay to step away from the situation you find yourself in. Effective communication. A large portion of your relationship with your supervisor is going to be dictated by your ability to communicate with one another. Understanding what motivates your supervisor can make a massive difference. Many PhD supervisors are under constant pressure to output publications and bring in funding grants. With this being a vicious cycle, the more papers, the more grants, the more papers, the more grants, etc. Thus, their focus is going to primarily be on output. It can often feel that in an ideal world, based on output, a PhD supervisor would want to have a student that just gets on with things, requiring little input from them. But this is not how the PhD process works. If you already knew how to do a PhD, there would be no point in having a PhD supervisor in the first place, as you would be able to complete it without their input. At the end of the day, you're a student and are learning. You will need, and are entitled to, help from your supervisor and the additional training provided by your doctoral programme to ensure you succeed. Thankfully, most PhD supervisors are well-intentioned and care about their PhD students. Even so, it is important for us to realise that they are humans too, and under pressure, they may not do a perfect job. They are also likely managing a range of different students and personalities, which can be a difficult task. Thus, in order to build a successful relationship and get the support you need, you may have to manage upwards. This is an essential skill, useful well beyond your doctorate, as whilst you cannot control how your supervisor may react to certain situations, through effective communication you may be able to influence their management style to better suit you. So how might you go about this? Understand what you need. Before communicating with your supervisor, consider what it is you actually need. This sounds simple, but you will only get a clear response if you ask a clear question. It is also okay to ask for general guidance on what your next step should be as you are a student and you're learning. Realise they will always be busy. Putting your needs first can be difficult, particularly when you're in awe of your PhD supervisor. You may feel that you don't want to trouble them until their schedule slows down a bit, but in reality, it likely never will. By taking on a PhD student, they have committed to supporting you, so organise that meeting. Operate with the yes but rule. When given demands from your supervisor, such as, I need you to review this for me for Friday, using the yes but rule can be helpful. For example, yes, but this means that I will not be able to get my presentation done by Wednesday as I will need to take time for the review. Helps to set realistic boundaries. Be direct. 
PhD supervisors have designated time to speak to their PhD students, so make sure to be direct and ask for what you need in any correspondence up front. This will of course depend on your relationship dynamics and the personality of your supervisor to a certain extent. Tip. It is important to realise that direct and aggressive are different things. It is okay to be assertive. Make sure that you include please and thank you accordingly. Outline expectations. If you need your PhD supervisor to review a document for you or provide feedback by a certain date, do not be afraid to give them the dates and state directly what you need from them. Being organised will help your supervisor stay on track. Do not be afraid to ask twice. It may be that your email gets read and accidentally forgotten about or pushed down the priority list of your PhD supervisor, but getting their feedback might be the limiting step for you to progress. Sending a follow-up email is often reasonable and may remind them to look at your work. What to do if you have a disagreement? When doing research, disagreements on research interpretations are not uncommon. This can be difficult to manage if it is your PhD supervisor you're disagreeing with. For the most part, professional disagreements will likely resolve on their own and may even build rapport with your PhD supervisor as debate is part of the learning process. Often, there is also no right or wrong with research either, just different approaches. However, sometimes disagreements can turn nasty, as we have discussed earlier in this chapter. The power imbalance between PhD student and PhD supervisor can be tough to navigate. Possible resolutions include Remember their expertise. It is important to remember that your PhD supervisor has a lot of experience in their area of specialty. Make sure to listen to their point of view. It is also important to realise that they can be wrong. They are only human after all. Collect proof. No one is going to know more about the daily ins and outs of what you do than you. If your PhD supervisor is unconvinced by your arguments, obtaining proof from literature or by running experiments to prove your theory may be necessary. Determine if it has become ad hominem. If the disagreement has started to move away from a professional discussion and more towards a personal attack, this is a red flag. You may want to call out this behaviour if you feel able to, or report this to someone within your department. They don't like to be challenged. Questioning research methods and direction and proposing other solutions are all part of the PhD journey. If you're hitting a huge amount of resistance, consider asking for reasons why your PhD supervisor's direction is the preferred one. If the answer is along the lines of, just do it, or I'm calling the shots, this may be a sign your PhD supervisor is not supportive. You should be able to ask questions. PhD student 42 states, I disagreed with the direction of my PhD and voiced my concerns to my PhD supervisor. They told me to just get on with my work and quit whining. I ended up wasting six months of my PhD on something that was never going to work because they wouldn't listen. In rare cases, disagreements can result in the relationship between a PhD student and a PhD supervisor to break down irrevocably. If you think you have reached this point during your PhD, I strongly recommend considering moving PhD group or changing PhD supervisor. If they do not have your best interests at heart, it is going to be an uphill struggle to get your PhD. In some uncommon situations, PhD supervisors may have an active vendetta against a student as they challenge them. This is unacceptable behaviour. Note, the online resource that accompanies this book has information on how to report this behaviour if you feel able. Advocating for better. What can universities do to improve PhD supervision? 
given the professional relationship between PhD supervisor and PhD student can have such broad implications for research output and PhD completion, in my opinion, institutions must make sure to 1. Monitor and look at dropout rate. Is there a supervisor whose students are dropping out at greater rates than average? This should be explored to understand if there is a problem with the supervisor and the research culture that they foster. 2. Provide training. Being good at research does not necessarily mean being good at being a mentor. Specific training and outlining of expectations for PhD supervisors must be provided. Refresher courses are also essential, as what is required of a supervisor and ways of managing change over time. 3. Make sure support is signposted. Typically, useful university mental health support exists, but this does not mean that supervisors know where resources are, how to access them and direct students towards them, Support must be clear and accessible. 4. Provide mental health support for supervisors. If a supervisor is struggling with their own mental health, it can be tough to provide support for others. Making sure that they know the range of support available and where to access it is important. 5. Student-supervisor agreement. A student-supervisor agreement established at the start of a PhD programme can help to outline expectations for both parties and be used to hold individuals accountable if they do not live up to their end of the bargain. For example, explicitly stating working hours so that students feel that they can say no if asked to work extreme hours. 6. Consider exit interviews. Anonymised exit interviews can provide a way to get feedback from students and understand the working conditions that they have been exposed to. Note, care needs to be taken to ensure that retaliation cannot happen for example, only discussing data after several years to avoid identification. Perhaps most important is to recognise that from an institutional perspective, in the short term, it may seem like protecting a PhD supervisor that brings in a lot of funding is financially more lucrative than to hold them accountable. But long term, the damage that can be done by one individual is huge, from driving out talented individuals from academia to wide-scale institutional reputation damage. The former, in my opinion, is much more important.